Good morning. So I want to tell you a story of my friend Aziz. Uh, Aziz, uh, he wanted to bring good to his people and to his country. And so many years ago, when the U.S. Army came into Iraq, he thought a way that he could serve his country was to help by being a translator for the American Army. And he believed that the government in his country at that time was a terrible government, and it would be good for him and his people if, it was, if they were ousted. So for many years, he served as a translator, and many times his life was in jeopardy because of what they were doing, and they were in war-torn areas as he was translating to try to help the U.S. Army. But a few years ago, when the U.S. Army pulled out of F, or not Afghanistan, of Iraq, he was left in a very difficult situation because some people thought he was an enemy to their cause now. Others supported what he was doing, but there were so many different political fractions within the nation now, and things were still just in disarray, that now there was a target painted on his back, but not only his back, but his family's back as well. So a couple years ago, when he had found out that an Iraqi army had fled in a conflict against ISIS, when ISIS was coming into his city and the Iraqi army, in fear, left everything, their military weapons, their jeeps, their vehicles, because they thought that ISIS was going to defeat them, he began, to begin, he began to become very afraid for his life. As he heard the bombs going off in the background, the gunshots getting closer, he knew he had to leave quickly, so he gathered his children, his little children, and his wife and his mother, and they took very few possessions that they could take with them, and they fled on foot. They actually had a grocery cart that they put his mother in so they could push her out of the city. And he showed me pictures of them literally going out of the city with bombs exploding in the background because it was not just him, but a few others were together. So he went from city to city to try to find some refuge, some place where he could have peace, and he began to hear the news and how his home was destroyed. He lost everything that they had, and he knew that his life was going to be jeopardy wherever he went. So eventually he was able to get out of the country and uh, try to be, seek asylum. Fortunately, he was granted that. He was granted... Uh, refugee status. He made his way to the States. He actually made his way to Austin, and he's become a friend of mine here. And I tell you that story because right now in our world, we are witnessing the highest levels of human displacement on record. There are unprecedented 65 and a half million people around the world who have been forced out of their homes, as you can see from this picture here. Many of them are still seeking asylum. They haven't been granted asylum yet, but a number of them have. About 22 and a half million or 22 million have been given refugee status. And what a refugee is literally is someone who's been forced out of their, their native land, not on their own will, but because of persecution or war or some type of political opposition. They've been forced out and they cannot go back to their hometown or their home country without fear for their life. So they get, have been given this refugee status and are now are spread, scattered across the world trying to find some place to live and some place to regain their lives. And this next um, photo here, we see that these, of these 65 million, 10 million of them are stateless. 
which means they have never been given a state, a home that, to call their own. They've been born without a nationality. They don't have a place really to live that they know of. They can't identify with a, with a group of people. And they are, in some sense, displaced. Some of the dis displacement results is resulted from disease or famine or uh, problems of natural disasters, but a lot of it is because of war. So where are they going? I don't know if you can quite see on this picture here, but a lot of them are going uh, in different places. About 23% of them are going into uh, Africa, about 39% into the Middle East and to Northern Africa, about 18 to Asia and, and Pacific, and about 14% into to the U.S., We've heard a lot of the stories of how so many are going into Europe. About 1.3 million have flooded into Europe over the last few years. But we don't hear a lot of the stories of how so many are going into other countries like Jordan and Ethiopia and Iran and Lebanon and Pakistan and Turkey. About 95% of all Afghan refugees are going into Pakistan and Iran. About 95% of all Syrian refugees are going into Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan, Iraq and Egypt. It's a massive crisis, and these countries are being overwhelmed and flooded with these people, and they don't know exactly what to do with them. So this issue is something that's on TV. It's an issue that we see. We know what's going on. It's an issue that's affecting our own home country and our own politics. So it's an issue that's important for us to address biblically. What, is, what does the Bible say about this topic, and how can we be informed people, and how can we respond to this, not just in a political sense, but in a biblical sense? And so we're going to look at a little bit about what the Bible talks about today under the topic of aliens and strangers. So the Bible addresses this issue under aliens and strangers, and so refugees fall in that category but also migrants and immigrants, foreigners, would fall into that category too. So I want to just touch on some of that as well. And we're going to look at the scripture, so I want to give an opportunity. If you need a Bible, uh, there's going to be some folks that can pass out Bibles. If you need a Bible, you raise your hand if someone would like a Bible. <clears throat> there's some ushers that are going to pass out some Bibles. And this is another place where you can find the scriptures that I'll be going through on the Bible app, or you can, I'll have them up on the screen as well. So how does this issue impact our country? Well, in the past few years, we've had about 70,000 refugees coming into our country yearly. That's been reduced for this next year to 50,000. In Texas, there's about 4,500 coming into Texas every year, and that's probably will be reduced this next year. In Austin, it's about 500. So really, on a day-to-day basis, you and I aren't going to be directly impacted by influx of refugees into our community, right? We may run into them here or there, but 500 years, not too many that's in coming into our city that's really going to impact our lives. We're going to be more impacted by what we see on TV, the news that we hear, and emotionally stirred up by the problem that's going on in our world. <clears throat> but our lives are going to encounter foreigners in this city, right? We know that in the U.S., about one million legal immigrants come into our country. About between 500 and 700,000 illegal immigrants come into our country, depending on the statistics that you read. About 85,000 legal immigrants coming into Texas every year. That's a lot. And I'm not sure how many are coming into Austin, but the statistics are that 35% of our city has Latino background or heritage. 
and it's the fastest growing population of our city, and about 20% of our city are foreign-born. That's one in five. That's a lot of people are foreign-born, majority from Latin America, but a lot from Asia as well and other places. So we are going to encounter people that are very different than us, and some of you in this room are people who have moved to this country and have moved to this city and this state from around the world. So that is going to impact our lives deeply. So we do need to know, how does the Bible address this topic of aliens and strangers? And how do we deal with it, both in the idea of uh, refugees, but also immigrant, immigration and migration? So there's a few things that I think are helpful for us to understand on this topic. The first thing is that the Bible is a story about aliens and strangers. I think I have it up there, yeah. <clears throat> so firstly, you know, for us to understand that the Bible, our, our faith, our, the heritage of our faith, if you're a Christian and believe in Jesus and in the Bible, it is a story from beginning to end about aliens and strangers, right? We can rewind all the way back to the beginning of creation, and we see that some of these um, aliens and strangers in the Bible are forced to leave their home because of their own wrongdoings. Some for the wrongdoings of others cause them to force to, force to leave their homes, and some of them choose to leave their own on, on their, or their homes on their own will. But we look at and we remember Adam and Eve, right? I mean, we talked about that in Genesis here, and we, we think, okay, yeah, Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve, and he created them in this perfect home, this garden. And they were in this home, and they were at peace with one another and with God. It was a perfect creation. It was what God intended for them to be and to live. And it was good, but there was a problem. They decided they wanted to go their own way instead of God's way, and God said there's going to be consequences to that, doing that, and the consequences are that you're going to be driven from your home, literally. And they were literally driven from their home, and they experienced pain and brokenness and death and loss and fear and shame. He said you can't live your way and be in my home at the same time, so they were exiled out of it. There was a, an angel that guarded the way so we as humanity could never get back into that place on our own. So in one sense, we all are exiles from the original home that God created us for. And that's why we look at the world, we go, oh, this world is so broken and so messed up, and we long for something better, we long for something good, we long for peace in our world because we were created for peace. We were created for goodness. We were created to be in harmony with one another and with God. And we see this world and we go, ah, oh, it's so broken, it's so messed up. And we realize that there's something wrong deeply in our world. And it's because we're not living in the world God intended us to live in. But we try to find our life in it and we try to find our, our, our identity in our life and our work and our relationships, but they leave us empty, they leave us dry. Why are so many people using drugs? Why is there so much suicide? Because they can't find their fulfillment in this life. Even though they're trying to, we were made for something more. So there's this story that continues about how God is going to work a master plan to bring humanity back into the home from which we were created. And we see the next story is Abraham from Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham out to, to go to a land that he's going to show him. And so Abraham takes his family and he leaves everything he ever knew to go to a, a place that he knew nothing about. And Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, when he went out, he did not know where he was going, but by faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They desired a better country, a heavenly one. 
They longed for the heavenly home that God promised them, and they, they left all that they had to, to find this promise that God was going to pr- give them. And they lived in tents. They were foreigners. They were outsiders. They were strangers. And as that people began to grow and they became a tribe of tribes, they had a hope that they one day would have their own home, but it wasn't coming to them. And now there are many, many people, but then a a great famine happened and they suffered under that famine and not knowing what to do. And we know the story of Joseph and how Joseph brought his, his family into Egypt and they came into Egypt as refugees to find refuge, in a sense, in Egypt. And so they could be provided for and have a place to live and have food and all these things. And they lived there for a long time. They didn't have their home. They were under the authority, the governance of another country, another land. They had a promise that God would give them their own land, but they didn't have it. And it wasn't for one year or two years or three years, but it was for 100, 200, 300, 400 years these people lived in this place that was not really their home under this at what became an oppressive regime where they forced them to become slaves and laborers and they killed their children so that they couldn't wouldn't increase in population this is these are our faith ancestors and in the middle of that God is working in this man Moses and and, and Moses kind of wants to help his people, but he doesn't do it the right way. He kind of does it the wrong way. And so what does he do? He has to flee for his life. He has to become, he has to seek refuge in Midian. And he lives in Midian. He has a son. His son is called Geshem. And he calls him Geshem. And Geshem means sojourner or one without a residence. And he says to himself, I have become a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses knows what it's like to leave his home and what he knew and live as an outsider, a foreigner in a foreign land for 40 years. He didn't have a hope. He didn't know God was going to use him to do something great. He was just now a person in another land without a family, without a people. But God had a plan for Moses and used Moses to bring his people up out of Egypt. Yet you can imagine how wild and crazy that must have been. Because again, these people now had been living there 400 years. And though it wasn't their home, it kind of was their home. And now everything's torn out from under them. They leave everything. They go into the wilderness not knowing exactly where they're going. Having a promise that they would get to this promised land somehow. But a lot of them didn't want to even be there. They're like, man, it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. But now they're led out and having to believe God's going to bring them somewhere good, and they're going through these difficulties and these trials, and in the midst of it, they don't even trust God. They don't believe that God's really going to bring them somewhere good, and the consequence of that is that they have to wander in the deserts for 40 more years without a home. But they finally get there, and it's a hard process to get into this place that God was giving them as a land. But once they got established, they were to have their own kind of rule, and they were to have their own law, and they could establish their culture, and they could have their own king. And actually, God was intended to be their king and and give them the guidance to be a people, his people. They wanted their own king, so they appointed a king. And over time, their hearts meandered away from God, and they began to love the things of the world more than they loved God. They began to love the religions of the world more than they loved the God who saved them. And God told them there would be consequences, and he told them there would be consequences. And after about 700 or so years, things began to crumble and fall apart, and now they lost it all again. The Babylonians came and took Israel, or took Jerusalem, destroyed everything, exiled the people, scattered many of them amongst Babylon. And again, now they're without a home, exiled, forced into being aliens and strangers once again. 
Again, that went for 70 years, and finally they were given a place to go back again to this home. But now it wasn't that they would be given their nation back. They were given their place back, but they never got their nation back. They never were given an identity. They were stateless people, again, under the rule of others, whether it's the Greeks or the Romans. And in that time period where they were waiting again, oh, God, you promised us a home. We are longing for our home that we may have peace. We're waiting for our king, the Messiah, who will come. But they didn't wait for 10 years or 20 years. They waited for 100, 200, 300, 400 more years. And then the child is born. The child is born, a, a, a little baby who is so threatening to the king at that time that he has to go after all the children in that age and kill them so he could kill this king. And so what do they have to do? They have to flee. They have to flee and they have to take refuge in Egypt. Jesus, the king, the Messiah, was a refugee in Egypt. As times changed and there was uh, safety back in their country, they were able to go back. And Jesus lived there until he started his ministry. And when he began his ministry and he entered into his ministry, he did something wild and radical. He called people to leave everything and follow him. He called people to leave their identity, which they knew and understood in that world, in that context, in that place. And he said, now come and follow me. I'm going to bring you into a new place, into a new home, into a new community. I'm going to bring you into God's kingdom. One guy said to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his, hand, his head. You want to come and follow me? That means your home is not in this world anymore. Your home is with me, and my home is not here. Jesus came as an alien and a stranger, a foreigner, outsider, coming from heaven, a place of peace, into our broken and chaotic world. And he says, now if you want to follow my way, it means you don't live for this world, but you live for my kingdom and my home that's going to come to earth one day. And so we see that reiterated in the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says to the church, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Church, you, this is not your home. This world is not your home. This is not what you were made for. You were made for peace with God in the garden, and Jesus has come to bring us back into that place. And he says, live with God, but as an outsider in this world, as a stranger in this world. Don't live for your passions that cut and wage war against your soul, but live for God and his ways. And that's the story of the church today, that we are waiting for the king to come. Our home is not here, and we are, in a sense, even though we live in our national land, we are, in a sense, foreigners and strangers and aliens. Sometimes it's hard to put our heads around all of this, and it's hard to really understand sometimes what it's like to be an outsider or a foreigner. I don't know if you've ever lived overseas, or maybe you've moved to America, but my wife and I lived in the Netherlands in Amsterdam for seven years. And we experienced, even though a lot of people spoke English, we experienced the, the extreme difficulty that people face when they go from their country to another country. And how you feel like a little baby child, right? How you feel like you can't understand what people are saying. You don't get their jokes. You don't know their background or their culture. You, you, you can't accomplish the things you used to be able to accomplish in your own culture. I mean, you could go through your to-do list and check them off every day. I get, man, I get all my things done. But there, it's like doing one thing feels like a mountain to accomplish anything. 
you're laughed at, you're snickered at because you don't speak well or you're made fun of because of your country of origin. And you just feel demeaned. You feel weak. You feel insecure. And there are millions and millions of people in the world like that today all over the place. I mean, take that and then compound it by someone who's left their land, not because they wanted to, but because they were forced to. They didn't come willfully to the the country that they're in, but because they had to. And they saw their children die or their parents perish. They've lost everything they could ever imagine. And now they're in this totally foreign land. It's completely different than their land. Their culture, their country is completely different. I mean, European culture and Middle Eastern culture is extremely different but now you're placed into the middle of it. And going through all that trauma and all that struggle and all that difficulty, and then when people look at you, they judge you by the clothes you wear or the religion that you have or the color of your skin, and you feel like a complete, isolated, lonely outsider. There are millions of people in that situation today. The good news is that God cares for the alien and the stranger. God cares for the alien and the the stranger. And that the story of the Bible is a story of aliens and strangers and outsiders, but God deeply cares. And the scriptures give us a tremendous amount of content to show us his heart for the refugee, his heart for the foreigner. We think about uh, even David, how David was... uh, the king of Israel, but there was a time in his life where he was persecuted and he had to flee, he had to leave his country. He lived in caves and then he had to live as a, a foreigner, as a, actually a refugee in another land for a period of time because his life was threatened. But in that time period, David met with God. He encountered God in a deep and profound way. In the Psalms, he says, in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Psalm 59, 16, he says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. God provided a refuge, a place of comfort, of salvation for a man who was losing everything. In Psalm 68, 5 and 6, it says that God is a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing that God cares for the lonely. He cares for the fatherless. He cares for those who are unjustly imprisoned, those who are lonely. In Psalm 91, 4, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, which is like another type of shield. God is a refuge to those who come to him. He receives us when we are in our deepest in, in needs and our most brokenness, that God is a, cares for those who are outcasted and lost and lonely and confused and homeless and hurting. God is a source of comfort for people in those situations. And we see God's great love for us because he showed it to us in the, in the life and person of Jesus Christ when, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus was in the perfect home in paradise, and yet he decided to leave all of it for our sakes. He became an outsider that we might become insiders. He gave up everything to invite us into his community. He opened up his arms and offered hospitality to us. 
to welcome us into heaven, into his family, into his community, into his kingdom. And he showed us that his deep love for our world, would, he would go so far to sacrifice on a cross for not just anybody, but enemies, enemies that, that hated him, that didn't love him, that disobeyed him, that didn't care for him, that were different than him. Obviously, we're all very different than God. We are the creatures. He's the creator, and yet he still loved us and died for us and brought us into his family. He shows us that love to us, and he says, in the same way I have loved you, love others. In the same way I have cared for you who are very different than I am, care for those who are different than you, right? And so the scripture, there's all kinds of scriptures we can look at, but God, he cares for the refugee and the alien and the stranger, and he wants us to, too. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34, it says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, and you, you shall not do him wrong, but you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native amongst you, you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. He says, love them as yourself. Treat them as a native amongst you. Open your homes and your houses and your life to them that they may be included and feel loved and cared for. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. He says, love the sojourner. Therefore, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt, wanderers, travelers. Again, we see the heart of God loving and caring for these people and commanding his people to love them too, to care for them and love them. And in the New Testament, we have Hebrews 13, 1 and 3. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Again, we just see this commandment to care for and to love and to offer hospitality to people who are different than us, to strangers, to outsiders to care for those who are in prison, that are hurting, that are in pain, to think of ourselves as though we were there with them, putting ourselves in their shoes, not callousing our hearts, not hardening our hearts to their plight. And of course, Galatians 5.14 tells us, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The whole law, all the law, of the Old Testament fulfilled in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's heart. His heart is us for to love these people who are going through all these struggles and difficulties, either because they were forced to leave their home or even those who've come into the country on their own will who are outsiders and aliens. I see the crisis in our world and the problem, and, it, and it sometimes it can, it can appear just hopeless and, and it can appear uh, chaotic, right? But the last point that I think has been helpful for me is to realize that God is sovereign over the nations. God is sovereign. One, the, the Bible is a story of aliens and stranger. God cares for the alien stranger and 
And God is sovereign over the nations. And it says in, in Acts 17, 26 through 27, that he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, on the face of the earth, and having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and in a hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. So we see a world that's all chaotic and crazy and wild, and yet there's a God who says that he's determined the times where everyone's going to live, every allotted boundary in place for a specific purpose, that they could find him, that they could seek him, that they could feel their way towards him. God wants all to know him and find him, and he's working in a sovereign way so that people can know him and find him. I mean, God is the ruler of all this stuff going on. It's not out of his control. It's not out of his authority. I mean, the Bible says kings are in his, the hearts of kings are in his hands. He guides them like water. It says he rises up one nation or one king and he tears down another king or another nation. God is in control of who is ruling and he tears them down and he brings them up and all to fulfill his purposes, all to carry forth his plans and to pass um, his purposes forth on earth. And so he will use all kinds of wild means to bring people to himself. Even what looks like to us a tragedy of migration, he can turn it into a triumph of his salvation. I was in Sweden a couple weeks ago, and we were reaching out to refugees in this part of Sweden. Well, if you ever heard of any issues in Sweden on the news, that's where we were. And it's a very difficult place. But I met a man from Egypt there who was ministering to Muslims in that area, and he told me an a, a amazing story. He said, in Finland, they have these camps where there's just hundreds and hundreds of Iraqis. And he says, they've never seen anything like this before. But Iraqis are coming to faith in Christ by the hundreds in these camps. And he's going every month because he speaks Arabic to try to help these new believers grow up in their, in their faith and to be in a form and, and start churches. He says, yeah, we've seen Iraqis come to Christ, Christ like a little bit here, one person here, one person there. But we've never seen hundreds come to Christ. And men and women, this is not Finland alone, but I know people in Germany and Hamburg and people who are doing work in Athens and Greece, and they're seeing multitudes of people coming to Christ in Europe. And these people are filling the churches that are empty by the Europeans. The Europeans have left it, but God is doing a work. And these immigrants and refugees are now going into the churches and filling them. These guys in Sweden were telling us, yeah, we have to go out to the different towns and villages and train the churches how to deal with all these different people that are starting to come into their churches. People with Muslim backgrounds, but they are now have an opportunity to hear the gospel where they never had the opportunity to hear it where they were at before. And now their lives are going through a state of brokenness and despair, and there's a place and a time where God wants to meet that refugee. And he is saving them. You don't hear that on the news. What about my friend in Austin here is from Bhutan? And he told me a wild story. He's a refugee, and he just told me this wild story how when he grew up, his people were um, forced out of Bhutan to become, uh, because basically it's like the, the, the government didn't want any um, of these Nepalese people, actually they had been in Bhutan for a number of generations. It's like me, my family, my grandfather's from Italy, I'm a third generation Italian in America, but I would not associate myself as an Italian, I would associate myself as American. And it's like these these. That our government saying all, Ameri or all Italians 
must be removed from the country. Like, whoa, that's crazy. And that's basically what they said. All Nepalese people of Nepalese heritage that speak the language or like the culture must be moved or be imprisoned. So there were just a massive migration of thousands of people who fled, and many of them ended up in Nepal. And but what he said is that we had these camps in Nepal, or not Nepal, in, uh, yeah, in Nepal. He said we had these camps in Nepal, and there were just, you know, thousands and thousands of people in, in, in Nepal. It wasn't their home country, so they were totally, refu- they, were, they were homeless, stateless. And he says, but we saw a, a revival and many thousands and thousands of my Bhutanese people came to faith in Christ. We were all Hindus, and there were a few Christians, but somehow God grabbed us in that time, and we were seeing churches started in these different refugee camps, and my father became a pastor, and my whole family's Christian, and he was telling this wild story how God had this, this, this amazing plan. He said, we felt like, you know, we were like the Israelites, that we were driven out of our home. And God had a promise, a plan to bring us to a better place. But we don't hear those stories. See, God oversees the movements of people so we can take hope in the midst of the terrible crisis we want to help. But we also know God is overseeing the movements of people to carry out His purposes and bring the nations to Himself. In part of that, He brings the nations to countries where they can hear the gospel. Right? And this might be the most controversial thing I'm going to say uh, this morning. But I believe that we as Christians, as the church, are called to make disciples of the nations, not to preserve our nation. We are called to be people who win the nations to Jesus and not people who set up walls to preserve our nation. That's not what Jesus called us to do. And I think if we were to win the nations who are coming to our nation with the gospel, it would preserve our nation. Could we be those types of people? Salt preserves. The more salt there is, the more preservation there is in our country. The more people who come to know Christ will be the ones who change our country for good. Let us be people who welcome. So what can we do? There's a few things. Maybe this motivates you to be involved uh, and do some things politically. Many of you won't do that. But what all of us can do is we can befriend. We can befriend someone who's different than us, right? We can befriend a foreigner. We can befriend someone in our neighborhood, our neighbor that's different than us from a different country. We can, someone who is at your grocery market or someone who serves you at a restaurant you like to go to or someone in your workplace or someone in your school that's different than you, that is a foreigner, that is an alien, that is an outsider to befriend them, to love them, to care for them, to show them the love of Jesus that you've been received by Christ so that we can now receive and love and care for those around us that are different than us. Befriend someone. And there's different ways you can do this that are more formal, like if you're a student or would like to, um, you can can befriend a foreign exchange student and become a a literal friend to help them integrate into this this, uh, city, into their school, and to help them know the things that are, to navigate the systems and things. You can literally just care for someone in that way. You can volunteer for a place like the Refugee Service of Texas where you can care for a refugee. You can do that as a community group where your community group adopts one person. And so not, not all the responsibility is maybe on you, but you all share that responsibility together to care for that individual. 
there's lots of different ways that we just, just to love. That's, I mean, if we just did that, then, right, our, our, our city's changed. Right there, that's it. But what else can we do? We can go. You know, there's an opportunity, unprecedented opportunity to, to go to places like Europe where God is bringing lots of refugees, where they have these massive camps and these guys are sitting around, young men and women. I didn't say that before, but half of the 22 million refugees are under the age of 18. They're children, they're youth. And I had a friend that was in Germany recently and said, they're all just these young guys are just hanging out. They got nothing to do. And you can go out and talk to them all day and all night about Jesus and they're listening. And there's opportunities all over places in Europe that God, it is time. It is time now to bring Jesus to these people who are desperately broken. Consider going. Maybe, hopefully, at the well, we will be able to organize trips where you can go on a short-term mission trip, but maybe God will call you long-term to go, too. This is the moment of history that is unique, and it's probably not going to lessen. It's probably going to continue to increase. We need to grab it. Of course, we can help financially. We can help give to missionaries who are doing the work. We can give to refugee organizations. We can support those things financially. But most deeply, importantly, we need to pray. We need to pray Pray for these people. Pray that they would come to know Christ. Pray they would find their home in Jesus in the midst of their problems and their crises and their situations, that they would find their home in Christ. Pray that God would raise up workers and laborers because he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord that he would send out people who care for the lost and care for the broken here locally in our country, in our state, and in the world. So why don't we just close in prayer together? Heavenly Father, we, we do, we want to intercede. You called us to be a priest, a, a priest, a, 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 a holy nation, a nation of priests. What do priests do? They intercede on behalf of the people. And so we want to pray and intercede, Lord, on the behalf of so many who are suffering and so many who are struggling and so many who are hurting, so many who are without homes and, and who are foreigners and lonely and isolated. Oh, Lord, we pray for their good. We pray for them. We pray you would raise up workers and laborers who would help and love them. I pray for them to be coming up right out of this church, but all over the world, Lord, that our, 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 our world would be moved with compassion, would be moved with care because of the example of Jesus Christ, and your church would be moved with care and moved with love because of the example of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us build bridges. Help us care and love for those who are right around us. And but we pray deeply and desperately for all these people that they would somehow find you in the midst of their tragedy, in the midst of their, their struggle and their brokenness, that they would find you. Jesus, save them like you're saving all those Iraqis in Finland. Lord, save them like you did to all those Bhutanese and all the others that I don't even know their stories. Bring the harvest into your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.